Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, Chip Frederick will be our guest. Chip will join us to talk Commodore baseball. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, the news not so good for Vanderbilt basketball. On Wednesday night, the Commodores lose a game 70-58 to to Tennessee, but worse Dylan DeSue has a season-ending knee injury, and Scotty Pippen has a hip flexor. No word on severity of that yet. Both missed the game last night, so we'll see what happens with both going forward. Baseball better news. Commodores win a 12-1 game over Western Kentucky at Hawkins Field on Wednesday. Christian Little makes his collegiate debut. He's one of five freshmen to do that on the mound for Vandy yesterday. They all threw well. Little gives up the game's only run for Vanderbilt, that unearned. But again, he's one of five freshmen to make their debut for Vanderbilt on the hill and throw at least one scoreless inning yesterday. Dominic Keegan hit a home run. That was a three-run home run. That was the first of his career. Commodore's 3-0 with a four-game series with Georgia State coming up next this weekend. Chip Frederick joins me now, as he does during baseball season. Chip, hope you are well. Before we get into baseball, let's talk hoops for just a second, because I know you follow that too. But what a gut punch last night. We're doing this on Thursday morning. Uh, you know, you think Vandy's got a shot to maybe get an upset of Tennessee, and then the Pippen and DeSue injuries happen, and that gets announced right before the game, and it feels like it's over before it started. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me that uh, 
a, a team was going to be ripe for an upset um, any more than UT was last night uh, facing Vanderbilt. Just all the intangibles. You got a Vanderbilt team that's playing really well. You close some close games and hanging in there, and you thought maybe it was going to be an opportunity to get a home victory there. And and then you hear uh, when I was driving around and hear Kevin Ingram on his broadcast. One of the first things he says is that. DeSue and Pippen were in street clothes, uh, and I jokingly laughed. If you're a gambling man, you're rushing for the telephone to call your sports book, since they're live and well here in Nashville or across the state of Tennessee, and put a bet on Tennessee. I uh, put a bet on Tennessee big time, and then the game ends up like it does. I don't even know what the point spread was, but it it, it was much closer throughout the game, and you would have had some serious heartburn throughout. So it just goes to show you. Um, you never know uh, who would have thought that a a Vanderbilt team without DeSue and Pippen would uh, hang with Tennessee, even though it, it got away from them at a certain point and then got within, what, four or five late and before it stretched out. But a, a surprising outcome and, and just um, strange, a strange set of events there uh, uh, right before the game to find out about it uh, the way they did. Well... More pleasant topic, baseball. The Commodores off to a 3-0 start. And, look, it's not SEC-type games yet. but And so knowing that, you can't make sweeping judgments. But if I had to give them a grade so far, I, I think you've got to give them an A. I mean, goodness gracious, 3-0. You've outscored your opponents 27-2. to And, frankly, there's some nits we can pick. But I think either – Things maybe to, to like that maybe we didn't quite expect. I think in terms of expectations with pitching, obviously that staff has met all those and then some. But I think three games in, again, which is not a great barometer, but it's all we have to go by, I think you have to like what you've seen. Yeah, it's small sample size, as you mentioned. I mean, three games. Uh, so at, uh, at this point, they, they're one short of where they thought they would be. But you know, a couple things, observations that I've noticed, Chris, throughout, you know, this team looks like they're enjoying themselves. And if you just look at a, around the league, the highlights, the SEC network, you the, the video highlights, these kids are really happy to be out there playing baseball, even though, you know, some parks are limiting attendance, not as much as I think they are here in Nashville, but there's just, I mean, a lot of enthusiasm from, you know, Ole Miss. I mean, it looks like it's a fraternity party down there. Uh, I mean, those guys are going crazy. And 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 Auburn yesterday do, dancing in the dugout. And you see, I mean, it's just there's there's an enthusiasm and an exuberance across the league of playing baseball again. And that's what Vander, Vanderbilt seems like they're in on it, too. You'll never see a Tim Corbin team do a lot of dancing and shaking and gyrating, but this team looks like they are ready to, you know, get out there and play a whole bunch of games, which they're getting ready to do and have all week here uh, and stack games on top of each other. And, you know, the, the, the comp right state's a good team. Uh, I think they're going to be there possibly in a regional when all things are settled and not sure about Western, but as we talked about last week, the, the strength of schedule, the teams we're playing here early is, is strong and you're going to get a good indication. I think, Pitching is ahead of hitting this time of year uh, until it warms up. Uh, the and and I think you've seen that across the league. A lot of strikeouts, uh, even by other SEC teams, uh, uh, per game basis. You're seeing a lot of that going on. 
but uh, definitely pitching this staff and in, in talking with Willie Donick yesterday uh, over text and just the excess of the of riches that this staff has when you're rolling guys out in a Western Kentucky game midweek that could could even be weekend performers and weekend weekend roles and uh, you know you you're seeing it looks like Scott Brown and and Corbin they got everybody a little bit of action uh, albeit just an inning or two uh, and you, you know you look on the stat sheet almost every everybody's got one appearance that's on the the stat sheet so that was good to get everybody a taste so yeah hitting's a little hitting's um, like the way they sprayed the ball around hit balls hard in the gap and you know what a welcome back that you had from Jason Gonzalez, how he, he tagged the ball and hit the ball hard. So a lot of good things to talk about. Uh, not stealing bases, um, you know, not running a lot. One attempt, uh, one successful attempt, uh, um, one stolen base, one for one on the year. Kind of maybe thought that would be a little higher, uh, but uh, it's still early. Three-game sample. We'll see how it goes uh, this time next week. Yeah, to the latter, we talked about that beforehand. Maybe one thing that dictates that is I mean, one win was 14-1 to and one was 12-1. to So Vanderbilt sure. had big leads in those early, so maybe that was part of it because I'm with you. I think this team will run more. But uh, poor Chris McIlvain, uh, he's sitting there. There's 13 of his teammates that haven't given up an earned run, and he's the only one who has. Yeah, I mean, and that, yeah, I'm sure he maybe got a little ribbing there. But, yeah, it's, it's – um... Uh, you, you look up and down this uh, when you when you trot out uh, your first three starting pitchers, and it was, of course, it was written about a little bit uh, nationally. Even I read with Rocker, Leiter, and Christian Little. Those, that's that's pretty impressive arms there. Uh, going, uh, you know that that's just that's almost everyone's well, every coach's envy around the country and. Uh, you know, I, I saw a piece today and and um, something up for discussion. I think you're going to see this throughout the year, the the back and forth, lighter and rocker, and who's the better prospect. I already I read something today, you know, that rocker in one publication now is number four prospect. He used to be number one. Lighter's moved into his spot, and I think uh, you know Tim was very defensive in his in of rocker, which which he's of course going to do. Uh, and you just hope, and I, I don't know these guys can cancel out that noise. I don't think there's, you know, there's a healthy competition between the two guys, but they're not going to let that get in the way. But you can nitpick all you want to about uh, those two guys, and one of them's undersized, one of them's too big, his frame's too big, all those different things. Uh, but you just hope that, and I think those two guys are very level-headed. They're not going to let it uh, bother them. But you're going to hear that, I think. When you have two pitchers who are going to be draft eligible come June, this isn't the first we're going to hear about that. Well, I remember when Jay Cutler was playing his senior year, and he really blew up as a draft prospect. And, you know, for months you heard about how great he was, and he was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year, I think. Then it gets to combine season, and it's all just a steady diet of, oh, he throws off his back foot, and he forces this. And it's like just – two months of negativity, right? Uh, and if that's all you heard, you would think that the guy had 
barely stepped onto a football field before. There were so many deficiencies. And I think that's what these guys are going to go through. When you get to be under that microscope, you're just going to get picked apart back and forth. And, you know, whether you like it or not, it's probably going to be something to have to get used to. Yeah, and in Rocker's case, you look at him, and he's such a big specimen. I mean, he's you put 30, 40 pounds on that guy, and he's a, a tight end anywhere in the SEC. Um, and so he's got the big frame. And there's a lot of, of notion about Rocker that some people, after his freshman year, was like, well, he's throwing 93, 92, 94. Well, he, he just looks like a guy who would throw upper 90s you know, 99, 100, you know, when's he going to go triple digits on the gun? And, and I think a case with Rocker is I think he probably could throw harder, but he, he he's so smooth in his delivery. And, you know, there's a difference between throwing strikes and throwing hard, throwing 100 miles an hour. And, you know, one thing that's really got me, Chris, is I've, I've noticed that the, the – notion of throwing hard now with these kids in high school has become paramount. I mean, and we have seen it on a staff. I've talked about this before, and I won't go into it huge detail again. Back when I played in the late 80s, early 90s, my last year, there were two or three guys who threw over 90 miles an hour in the league, not on our team in the league. If you go up and down Vanderbilt stats, there's there's almost 75, 80% of them throw in the 90s. And that's a big difference. And you've got these places all over the country now that are showing up where these kids will go and they're, they work with the heavy balls and they, they work with towels and they work with bands. And the whole idea is like they get in there and they just do it's throw 90. If you can break 90 and they have these coaches in there and that's all fine and dandy. And there's videos of them doing it is what I'm getting at. And some of these kids are going to hurt their arm. And there's already a kid uh, in Murfreesboro who signed with Tennessee. There was an article locally about him yesterday who's having elbow surgery. And they interviewed him and they said, well, I was working with some heavy balls. And, you know, it, it's so speed, getting back to rocker, speed, the fact that he's throwing in the low 90s and why isn't he throwing 100? There's throwing strikes and throwing in the low 90s. And then there's just, for him, to th- he probably could throw harder. So there's going to be that comparison between those two and then lighter as well. So I, I trust Scott Brown and his staff and, and, and Corbin that the, the, these guys are already cool cats to begin with. They're both, both of their dads are pros. They know what it's like in the locker room. They know what the, the process of recruiting and being heavily recruited. They know about drafts. They're going to handle it just fine. Uh, I guarantee you that. Well, Kumara is not a guy that, based on his limited career here, has just come out and thrown one of those eight-inning, 13-strikeout, no-walk games right off the bat. I'm going back to his freshman year. First appearance, 130 innings, five runs, two walks, a strikeout, hit a batter. Then I go back a couple of weekends after that. He pitches four innings in relief, only strikes out three, which not bad, but it's not what Kumar Rocker became, right? You go to first SEC series, he goes five and two-thirds, only strikes out four, walks a couple. Uh, I don't think he hit anybody that day. But, I mean, Kumar Rocker didn't really start rounding into form maybe till middle of the conference season. And if you remember Alabama. last year, too, yeah, I mean. It was the Alabama series at Alabama. That's when he really, in my opinion, 
that's when I knew that he he not that I didn't know he was special, but if you remember, it was in Tuscaloosa, and that's when I think he became a pitcher in this conference and was going to be a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion. Yeah, and last year. UCLA, I don't have the line in front of me, but he struggled out there. I don't think he got through the fourth or maybe not even into the fourth. I don't know. He was walking some guys and just didn't look comfortable. I think he's a guy, and the lighter might be different. You know, lighter comes out his first appearance the last two years and just looks like he's a national pitcher of the year in the time he's on the hill. So I, I think they're different kinds of guys. But to me, Kumar is a guy that, like, he could struggle – a couple of starts, and I say struggle, relatively speaking, to who he is. I mean, struggle might look like it did when he walks four and, or excuse me, walks three and four innings. He may have a start where he goes four and two thirds, and he's at eighty-three pitches, and they pull him, and he's just not as sharp. But I have a feeling, based on history, once we get into April and May, he's going to be just fine. Not that anybody's really questioning it, but I just think that for him, it just seems like based on what we've seen. You've got to set the bar of expectations for a timeline to where he becomes Kumar Rocker, maybe a little differently than than you would given all the preseason hype that he got, which I think is deserved. But with that, like you said, it comes it breeds a lot of expectations. Yeah, and and they're going to all. The, I mean, this whole staff when when you're the excess of talent, you're going to get nitpicked, and you're going to have things um, people looking at you under a microscope, especially those two guys. You know, one thing we we can talk about too. Starting Christian Little in that game yesterday, and I know it was a funky schedule, Chris, is the way the game, having played the two on Monday and where it came uh, about, that was very um, un-Corbin-esque, if that's a word, to give this kid a start in that position, 17 years old, joined the team in January. Uh, You know, Tim has been very... Uh, methodical about how he's brought talent along, even Rocker. uh, And uh, you talk about Sonny Gray back in those days. And to put Little in that position yesterday, I don't know what it shows. I I think he's a superb talent and extra special talent. I mean, the kid's just 17. He was in high school, for goodness sake, at his high school cafeteria. If they were in school two months ago. And and now he's pitching, uh, starting a game. What did that tell you? I, I don't know if there was any, if there'd been any discussion about that. But and if you agree with me that that's semi uncorbin esque move to pitch this kid who's so young, uh, because that's not been the case with these other phenoms that have been on the hill. He's kind of been more of a gradual bringing these kids along, and then they'll pop him in like he did Rocker. Yeah, a few thoughts there. I mean, first, I don't think you could ignore the dynamics of the schedule because I think if they go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you don't see him pitching. You see Laboki, I I think. But they needed they used Sam in kind of long relief w- when they were close. And um, I can't remember if it was game one or game two. But in any case, I think that's part of it. I was surprised. I had been sort of forewarned that after 30 pitches it sort of drops off for him and that's a couple weeks old by this point but it tells me because I thought Patrick Riley might be the first guy we saw at that freshman group I've gotten a sense that maybe he's the most polished now I know Hunter Owen has really come along in practices recently uh and really popped up in a hurry so seeing him throw 
and, and by the way, I'm answering your question. I'm just taking the long route to it. I guess what it tells me is two things. They place a premium on control these days. I think more than they did a couple of years ago. And that's been one thing that I've been told privately is if you can't throw strikes, and this is me paraphrasing, your chance of getting on the field for this team is not going to be good. And I think they feel a lot of confidence in their guys to throw strikes. And I think that is now probably extending to some of these new kids. In fact, I know it is. I think that's one thing that they're pleased with is they have some strike throwers in this freshman class. Now, these guys are not going to be – like a lot of years you have a lot of guys – you'll have two or three freshman arms like Kyle Wright and some guys that have big roles. I don't know that there's room for that on this staff because of all the sophomores uh, that showed out so well a year ago. I I don't know if you're going to see a guy – as a freshman that's going to come in and, and do what Kyle Wright or Hayden Stone did. But if you're going to, you're going to have to throw strikes. So that is my long way of getting to this. I don't think that if Christian Little wasn't showing pretty good command of stuff in practice, I'm guessing he doesn't see the field for a start because there are so many other good options. Yeah, and, and uh, on the SEC Network last night, they they just I think they got it wrong. One of the announcers was going through the highlights and – they were basically calling Little the third starter, uh, which I think they just saw that he pitched the game yesterday and they didn't play. They just kind of went one, two, three, and they just assumed that Little was the third starter. I don't think Christian Little is ready to be the Sunday starter, uh, and, and I don't think he's going to be. But uh, it was just a little, you know, Tim has always uh, kind of a running joke years past. The first couple games he's always played – someone in the lineup that you didn't expect and just threw him in the outfield. And I think he kind of does that to balance things out and to keep everybody on their, on their toes. He, he did that for several years in a row um, with, with some players that out of nowhere started in the outfield and, and uh, for a few games when they on a West coast trip. And I, I think he, there's, I don't think he's playing mind games there. I just think he's, you, you there's, that's razor thin margin of error when you have a talented staff that's in pitching and also in your roster. And of course, this year they got 43 people to choose from, which is totally um, different that they've had in the past. But you better throw strikes. Uh, if, if you don't, they can go get somebody you can. And that kind of, you know, works itself out as they get in after about 15, 20 games. The guys who aren't throwing strikes aren't going to see the field. Let's switch to offense for a minute. I guess the two biggest encouraging things to me are Jason Gonzalez, who's played really well. Jason has struck out three times. He's walked once, but he's hit the ball pretty well. And he's got a 636 on base at this point. The other one is Dominic Keegan, who's really hitting well. And I think maybe just as importantly, he's walked twice and struck out once. Hit a home run yesterday. He's got, what, five extra base hits in three games. I, I don't think that this is a dominant lineup, but you want to see guys like Keegan and Gonzalez take that next step to becoming the players I think they thought they could be when they got on campus. And at least as far as we've seen so far, I think a lot of encouragement. Um, and I would include Tate, Colwick, include Tate Colwick in that too. Tate's hit the ball pretty hard. Uh, he has struck out three times, but the way he's hit the ball, and some of those have been some hard outs, I think, I've been really encouraged with those three guys. Yeah, Keegan's home run yesterday 
he it was kind of an awkward swing. I mean, he did he didn't even bend his lower half, and the ball got out in a hurry. It was it was a very awkward. It wasn't one of those ones where he uh, squared up on the ball and 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 he just launched it. It was a it was a, and Willie Donick even mentioned that when I was driving down the road and I went back and watched the highlight and I agreed with him. Uh, it's great seeing him starting off. I mean, with a hot average five fifty six. Gonzalez has rebuilt his body a little bit. He looks um, a little better shape, lost a little bit of weight, and he was hitting the ball on the screws. I mean, hitting the ball hard when he did, you know, three RBIs on the season, eight total bases. He looks confident. You know, Jason, two years ago, and why I remember this, I, I don't know, but it was, you know, he lost his position. It seems like there was a game at, at – uh, first Tennessee Park at the time when they played either Lipscomb or Belmont. And the week before he had a bad outing and he didn't, he was playing third base and he rarely saw the field after that. I don't know if you recall that, but it was a, you know, partway middle of the season we've talked about and kind of a day of reckoning, time of reckoning the schedule that if you're not doing well, they got to go with who they got to go with. And that's when he lost his position uh, right after that weekend series. And he was on that national championship team, but rarely saw the field. And of course, last year took the year, had the year off. He didn't play, but it was really impressive to see him. He, he stands well at the plate. He, he, he looks the part and glad to see him, uh, you know, strikeouts were kind of his Achilles heel two years ago and he's got three on the year, but the way he was, making contact and hit the ball hard. I was impressed. Another guy that's really caught my eye, Enrique Bradfield. I think that's the fastest kid I've ever seen play here. The double that he got the other day, it never occurred to me off the bat that somebody could get two out of that. That's how fast he is. Now, sometimes that can work against you. Uh, you saw him try to stretch a single to left, I think it was yesterday, into a double and got thrown out pretty easily. But my goodness, that kid's fast. Yeah, he and it's going to be fun to watch him track some balls in center field and see what he's got out there uh, with you know first step that he's got from what I'm told. And you know he's he's gonna have he's just a pup. I mean he's gonna have to have a governor on him a little bit, and you, to an extent you want him to be aggressive. And when he got caught at second base, uh, the ball was waiting on him when he got there. You saw Corbin kind of stand there and, you know, met him, got his glove and his helmet afterwards. And they probably talked about, look, you know, and there were, there were two outs when he was trying to stretch the single and the double. Um, not an incredibly horrible thing. You don't want to make the third out a third, as the old saying goes, but he was just trying to be a little aggressive. And he, he's going to learn uh, as he grows uh, where he can, you know, pick and choose his chances. But yeah, we've we've never had a guy who can fly like that. Um, we've had some fast kids, but you're right. I mean, he looks like if there's ever anything in the gap, that guy's thinking three bases. He's not thinking two. I think he's thinking three, and and he'll probably have. Uh, uh, interesting to see if he can, if he can make some contact, get the balls and gaps. How many triples he'll end up with this year? What do you think of Jack Bulger so far? You know, the numbers aren't showing it, Chris, uh, as far as what what he's done there at the plate. I mean, he's uh, kind of had a rough start. But, you know, it's if, if maybe ask me next week. I mean, I, I just I do think there was I mean, at the same point, uh, you could say the same thing about 
CJ Rodriguez. What has been the what has been CJ Rodriguez that's kept him in the lineup as a freshman, although be it it was 18 games last year, was he made contact. He didn't strike out. Well, he's, he's had four strikeouts on the on the year. Uh, of you know, of his four out of his seven at bats have been strikeouts. So that's unusual for him, a kid who all we've heard about is how C.J. Rodriguez makes contact and is a hard out. And if you're going to get him out, he fouls a bunch of pitches off. And then he struck out four times. So, Bulger, Rodriguez, I mean, they're the bottom of the categories as far as the batting average. Uh, I just think it's too early. I think he's impressive looking. Um, you know, uh, but he's he's young. He's a pup. Uh, and, and, you know, for all the matter, that you got a lot of guys like that who fit that mold. So, I think the sample size is too small on him. Let's, you know, let's, we'll see uh, what he does. I mean, two strikeouts and 11 at bats. It's not horrible. He, he got a hit, you know, but uh, it, it, kids are going to struggle at different points of the year, and maybe his is just right now. Yeah, I'm not that concerned about him. I think that there's been some bad luck involved. He's hit one of the hardest balls I've seen anybody hit this year that was an out. And they say he's a contact guy in practice. I mean, it, told me a lot that first hit bat of the season you know Cooper Davis is sitting there with 2-2 two, two, and we'll get to Cooper in just a minute uh and and fouls the ball off his face and what do they do they go and grab Jack Bolcher right away I mean that's a spot where you might find a second or third year guy to put in there just because of the situation but the fact that they went to Bolger in that spot to me uh said something yeah I mean that's Tim, Tim probably, I don't know if there's a lot of deep thought that he sits there and goes, what if Cooper Davis files one off his face? Who am I going to put in? He, he might have just looked, turned around the first, first person he saw. He's going to put him in the game just to put him in a spot and see how he reacts. Uh, and that's tough when you see a curveball from a pretty good little pitcher from Wright State, uh, a knee bender, and you, that was a quick trip to the dish for, for Bulger. So, just, just to see how guys react, I, I don't think it's all that bad, and I don't mind it, and, and I'm sure Bulger learned from the situation, but that, that was not an easy at-bat for him. Let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at Joshua Minton HQ or Facebook.com forward slash JD Minton HQ. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Go Doors 21 says, outside of Cooper Davis's injury, is there anything worthy of concern coming out of the first three games? Not really. We've already talked about it. The, the, the stolen base numbers are not what you thought they would be. I mean, one stolen base, one attempt, and that, was, of course, was – Bradfield, not really a concern. It could have been that, you know, we had some games that were lopsided and you don't necessarily run in those games either. So, you know, just we just mentioned C.J. Rodriguez. Is it a concern? Struck out four times out of seven at-bats for a guy who, who's expected not to do that? I don't think it's a concern yet. Um, I don't think it's real glaring. Um, there were some, on the pitching side, there were some games that could have gotten a little hairy, Chris, and, and the pitchers were able to battle back and 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 throw strikes and get out of some jams. Um, and so that was good to see. I don't think it's a concern yet. So, no, uh, other than uh, Cooper 
his injury, I, I think there was nothing really stood out to me. Um, if you want to get picky, I think the strikeout totals are a little high as far as on the hitting side with 32 uh, that we've had on the year as a team. But outside of that, nothing uh, glaring as far as anybody's individual performances or, or, or what have you. I guess my biggest concern is Isaiah Thomas. And I'm, I'm probably the president of the Isaiah Thomas fan club. But one thing I don't want to see three games in, when they're playing teams that aren't SEC caliber, uh, is six strikeouts and no walks. I was hoping that would get better. We know what he can do when he connects with the ball. That's probably my biggest thing. A more minor thing is C.J. Rodriguez. Now, I think the fact that they had him hitting in the three-hole for opening day is telling, but he didn't look good then. They move him down to the six. You mentioned four strikeouts. That's one more than he had all last season. I think the contact will come around for him. I don't think that's a concern, but the issue I've seen with him he doesn't make consistent hard contact in games. Now, again, I know they've seen different things in private, and I'm not going to pretend that what's in front of us is all the information, but I want to see that start translating to games. I think those are my two biggest concerns with them so far. Yeah, and, and the depth at the catching position on this team is 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 tremendous. So, uh, you know, they they have the luxury of trying some different guys out there and and um, I think you'll see that continue here for the next couple of weeks until you get into conference play to see who can who can hit and and be the receiver. I don't I don't think it's C.J. Rodriguez's position for the year. Uh, you know, obviously on those SEC weekends, sometimes they will stick a guy out there on Sunday, and I think you'll probably see that uh, throughout the season, early on at least, until they can um, find a, a regular routine that they're comfortable with. Boy, speaking of catching, there have been two stolen bases uh, attempted off them. Romero threw out one runner and Rodriguez threw out the other. Both of them were just darts. Yeah, that, that was impressive. Uh, they were great throws. Uh, all our catchers seem to be in the just – they're coached really well. The, the soft hands, every – you know, there's – and people don't understand from a pitching perspective, my being a, a, a um, former pitcher – there's little intricacies that you 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 like in a catcher, how he sets up, the way he receives the ball, how he moves behind the dish in a certain way, how he calls the game. Because you know, pitchers have rhythms, but catchers have rhythms too. And and I probably was more particular than most, but there were certainly guys that I would rather throw to when I played than others. And it's just a preference. But you kind of want all those guys to look. You don't want there to be too much of a difference because if somebody gets hurt, you don't want there to be a drastic change as far as how a catcher receives the ball or sets up. But one thing I've noticed about those two guys, very confident the way they sit back. They're, they have very soft hands the way they frame and very, very quick releases, as you talked about, uh, catching the two runners that have tried to steal. The next one from VU65 have you ever seen a player foul two straight balls off his head, one off the side of his helmet and the other off his face? Seems like Davis was trying to hit high inside fastballs. What are your thoughts? No, no, never have seen that. I've, I've never, and to be honest, I've never seen a batter take one off, really, um, not two straight, but really one. I can't remember a player getting cut like that um on a foul ball he was he was getting pitched inside uh 
uh, at, at during that at bat, and and certainly that had something to do with it. Yeah, sure, but on the those inside fastballs, but no, I've never seen that, and that was scary. That could have been orbital bone out for the year kind of thing. Uh, if if that that would have been a couple inches or hit him in a different way, so. Um, I understand he's got a broken nose and had to maybe have some stitches and might have to wear a mask if that's what you've heard. I think I've seen that somewhere. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see how that affects him. But that can it was really a scary moment. And you could tell when he got hit and I was watching it, it he looked immediately at the dugout like uh, this ain't right. Um, and the, the trainer came out because it. It, it from the get go, I saw it, and it was it was very very. And that's you know you think the worst. I mean, if you if you catch one in the eye, it could affect your vision and and long term, and not necessarily for the season, but for long term. So no, never have seen that before. That was a a, a frightening uh, sight uh, at that game. You watch a college baseball team over a full season, you might see a guy foul a ball off his head what once, maybe, maybe. I mean, the first at bat of the season for the team, twice in the same at bat. I mean, I don't know what the odds on that are, uh, but you you might have better odds hitting Powerball than what happened two sure. and one at yeah. bat. I mean, it was yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, I've I've never seen that before. Might not ever. Might we we might not ever see it again either. Yeah, well, let, let's hope we don't. Those are always scary. I was with you. You, you could tell immediately that, that things were not right with him. Uh, I'm out of mailbag questions. At this point, I think we covered a lot of ground. I, I don't advise making a lot of sweeping conclusions three games in against the schedule. Not that those are bad teams. I think Wright State's got a chance to be good. Uh, maybe one of those high four seeds you don't want to see in your regional Western, I don't think, is very good. I mean, losing a, st- a series to North Dakota State the first weekend, uh, you're always wary of that, especially schools like that where everything's frozen and you wonder how much activity uh, you get in North Dakota. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm pleased with what we've seen so far from a Vanderbilt standpoint. Anything that we didn't discuss that you think is worth a mention? No, it, it, it will. we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um with this weekend with the weather, you know, we're now we're dealing with snow last weekend and we're going to have to deal with rain possibly this weekend. I don't think it's, it's probably, it's, it's going to be an issue. And usually when Tim and crew have a forecast, which we're talking about possibly five inches of rain, they do some maneuvering on the front end or they'll do it on the back end. Uh, it looks like Sunday is going to be the worst day. Uh, and they're they're playing uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with a double header on Sunday. So not sure if you've heard anything about that, but you might see some maneuvering around because at this point you want to get games in. It's hard enough playing games and finding schools that that can do it due to restrictions of their area or their conference or uh, their school. So Georgia State um, coming in here for this three game series, and I think. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen what will happen that uh, playing them, let's see, looks like four times um, this weekend. And then you've got, you know, UIC the next weekend. So of the teams we talked about coming up on the schedule, I would think, you know, Georgia State, as far as a, a record or a, a, a team coming in here, the less formidable of the ones that we talked about during our first broadcast with UIC, 
Oklahoma State and and that manner. But uh, still, nonetheless, it's a chance for these young kids to get out there and um, you know spread their wings a little bit and get some some action. But I'm I'm worried a little bit about the weather and not sure if you've heard anything, but it doesn't look good for Sunday Monday. So I'm not sure if you've heard anything. I have not, but you know how to know when college baseball season has arrived, right? Oh yeah. When when the weather gets cold and wet here. Yeah, right. I mean it's it's foolproof. Um I will push back on Georgia State a little bit. Yeah, I mean Georgia State took two out of three two out of four at West Virginia. Uh won one of them twenty to four, lost another three to two, lost six to two at Georgia yesterday. But that's a team I looked at on paper before the season. I thought, hey, their coach made a lot of progress in year one. They had a lot of good players coming back. There's a lot of talent in that state. So uh, I don't know that that's a pushover of a series for them. No, and anytime you score 20, uh, 20 runs in a, in a game against, you know, West Virginia is no super powerhouse, but that's impressive. So, yeah, I just stacking them. I was comparing them, uh, not saying they're a pushover at all, but comparing them to Oklahoma State and, and UIC, who's usually – uh, kind of like the right states of the world. They, they'll play anybody and everybody. So, yeah, it, it'll be good to get these guys out there again. Um, interesting to see how the pitching rotation is going to be with Rocker pitching on Monday, although he didn't throw a ton of pitches, um, what they plan on doing that. And then if they have to double up early and play double headers earlier than rather than on Sunday, how that's going to affect things. But that's why those guys – and the kids are resilient, but they want to stay – they want to keep these these guys in a certain routine as everything builds up to, you know, the next weekend in Stillwater and then the next weekend uh, here in Nashville against South Carolina. So you, you want to get them somewhat a routine, but it, it might not be able to do that with the way the, the Mother Nature is uh, painting the picture coming up. So might have to be next weekend against UIC before we see some hint of how a three-series, uh, three-game series rotation looks uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By the way, West Virginia will be interesting to see how good they are. I think uh, D1 ranked them 14th in the preseason. A lot of pollsters didn't have them in their period. I think, I think more D1 than the other guys who do rankings. Uh, that's the one I pay the most attention to, but they were certainly the outlier on WVU, so it'll be interesting to see what that means. Uh, speaking of future opponents – have you been following South Carolina? Those guys have hit 14 home runs so far, and Wes Clark's hit five of them. Yeah, I watched the highlights of that the other night. It, it's, um, you know, that program's not going to stay down long. They've been down for a while. You know, the last they haven't been where they were when they went, when they practically were residents of Omaha for three years in a row. Uh, and you knew it was just a matter of time before they were. Now, we'll just have to see if that holds, but. You know, I'm seeing a lot of just, you know, and again, the, the the schedule and who the teams are playing. But, you know, Auburn puts up 30 runs yesterday. Ole Miss has got guys hitting bombs. You know, just it, it's it's uh, across the league. You're seeing a lot of big bats, a lot of home runs. Uh, like you mentioned, the kid hitting three in one game. Uh, it, it, that's impressive. So you're seeing that, you know, teams that are, are, are jumping out of the box quick as far as hitting. Uh, and, uh, that's been, that's the thing that I've noticed Ole Miss, South Carolina, Auburn, 
you know, you put up 30 runs unless you're playing a high school team and you're that's one thing. It's it's impressive against anybody in Division One baseball, and uh, we'll, we'll see if that if that carries on. Yeah, Auburn put up 33 on Alabama A&M on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, that was yesterday. Right, right. That uh, was that's uh, that's a little much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's without somebody even. Uh, yeah, I mean, usually you. That's that one of those things you you try to put on the brakes a little bit, and and you want guys to get a chance to play the younger kids, and they still they, you're not going to tell them to go up there and strike out. Uh, but that had to be a tough game for Alabama A&M. Chip, any parting thoughts before we close the podcast today? No, just uh, ready to see how this team continues to develop. There's been a lot of talk, and there's been, there's you know there's still the bullseye of a lot of uh, teams. They're going to be they're in the talk. You know, Florida took lost two out of three early on to uh, Miami, so really didn't move. It basically vaulted Ole Miss into that position. I think Ole Miss is pretty much number one across all the polls. Is that what they are now? Is, um, uh, I don't know if it's all of them, but I know D1 put several. them there. And, and, I mean, I frankly, I think that's the right call. I think Ole Miss is the best team in the country right now. Yeah, and and uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Because they went, I mean, Ole Miss, I think the, the people who vote in those polls saw what they, you know, they go to Texas and do what they did in that tournament. Ole Miss is going to be a team that's going to be going to have to be reckoned with, uh, and uh, they are. They look like that's just kind of a circus atmosphere, kind of a frat party. Uh, the players have kind of taken that whole right field uh, lounge deal to an extreme, where they got you know guys with their shirts unbuttoned, jerseys, and they got bleached hair, and they're spiking the ball, and they're very exuberant, and and that is going to be a, a series that I won't want to miss. Uh, when that happens, because uh, th- there are they're a confident bunch, and they should be. I mean, they would, would have won the longest, would have won twenty in a row now. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Chris, you know that that's just a a series that I'm going to be looking forward to when the when the Commodores and the Rebels get together. I mean, there's, and there's not even you look at the schedule itself. I mean, there's not a lot of holes there. But when you when you when you see the way Ole Miss is playing and the fact that they're one of the top teams in the country and won 20 games in a row, that May 14th, 15th, and 16th down in Oxford is going to be some fun games to watch. But there's not, again, there's not a lot of games on the schedule that aren't going to be. So looking forward to a good year here in the SEC and Vanderbilt baseball. Chip, thanks for joining me. Of course, you are in the real estate business, so I want to give you a moment to talk about what you do and where folks can find you if you're in the need for a home. Sure, Chris. Uh, Frederick and Clark Realty is our company been around for over 57 years and we're here in Nashville got two locations Brentwood and Green Hills over near the Green Hills Mall but just real quick here when you hear things about the spring real estate market you might hear that term and you hear how things are are really kick in during a spring real estate market well that's already here in the real estate business the spring market usually starts in February and the reason why that is, is a lot of people put their houses on the market during that time if they're going to sell, if they have children in school and they kind of time it out to so where they'll close on their house and they'll don't want to take their kids out of school. For whatever reason, the spring market doesn't coincide with the time of the year like what you and I think about spring. It's already here. It's already hot. Uh, but the national market has been hot. So if, if any of the listeners here are interested in seeing what their house is worth, thinking about putting it on the market, or on the buy side, if they're looking for to partner with a real estate company 
that has their best interest in mind. You know, there's a lot of outlets out there in, in the on, on the web as far as looking for real estate and looking at sites and homes, but don't discount the fact that having a realtor, which which our 160 realtor with a capital R, our 160 agents that belong to that association that are practice good ethics, they're professionals, they have all the wherewithal as far as the marketing of your home and statistics to price it correctly and on the buy side to help you in this very competitive market. So give us a call at Frederick and Clark. You can find us on the web at frederickandclark.com. We're here to help. We're Vanderbilt supporters, have been for well over 60 years, as I said. Um, a lot of Vanderbilt, uh, the, the three principals in the agency here and the real estate company are all Vanderbilt graduates. So we're here to help uh, your listeners and anyone here in the Middle Tennessee area for their real estate needs. Hey, thanks for joining us, Chip. Take care, Chris. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening. By the way, if you enjoyed that, I have started a Southeastern Conference podcast five days a week. and It's called the Southeastern 14. You can find that on Apple Podcasts uh, or any other place you get the podcast. You can also check out the website at southeastern14.com. So I hope some of you will do that. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll be back at you with another episode very soon.